Tonight's uh, talk is called Aligning the Mind with the Now of the Body. <clears throat> and uh, I try, uh, I put a lot of effort into uh, trying to conceive of new ways to speak about the Dharma because it has always been helpful to me and I hope to you to hear it in just a slightly altered way, using different words, because sometimes it brings a refreshing new um, a, a appreciation for what it is that we're doing when we hear it from different words. If we hear the same words, for me, it wasn't, I, I would get into a kind of conditioned way of understanding those words and couldn't really um, bring a fresh approach to them. So. Uh, I'm going to try to use some, a little bit of different terminology, but I don't think it'll be something that is, um, I think it'll be easily understood. I hope so. It's my wish. Uh, so uh, here we go. So uh, one way to understand the spiritual path, in fact, you can understand awakening as awakening to the fact that there is only now. And every, everything, everything that has ever been, ever will be, could possibly be, everything arises now. There's no other context, no other possibility for any other worlds or dimensions to arise except now. And that's the only context, the only thing. And the realization, that's, sometimes we can intellectually understand that. We can get a sense, oh yeah, yeah, I mean, even my thoughts are occurring now. And when I'm daydreaming, that's actually an expression of daydreaming that's happening now, that all even if it catches me up to thinking that these experiences occurred at a particular, at some other time, the experience itself is arising now. And I can get a sense of that and even, I can even get an, an experiential sense of that, not just an intellectual sense of that, because in my meditation practice as I quiet and I hold myself within stillness. I see things arising in stillness, and stillness is another word for now, that virtually everything is arising from stillness now, and passes away now. But the complete realization of that is the Buddha's awakening. And the Buddha's path, the spiritual path, is to cease all journeys away from now. To cease those journeys. To see that they aren't true. It's not that you stop thinking or planning. It's not that you don't have memories available. It's just that they don't fool you to be out of context of now. And so the complete understanding, the complete awakening, is that 
these things are always happening within the context of now, and that journeys, journeys away, cease. Now, we can see that for most of us, we're, it seems as if we get lost all the time in our thoughts, doesn't it? It seems that our thoughts are very convincing in terms of their impact on time and their, what they say about me and my orientation to time, especially states of mind. So let me just talk a little bit about that, then I'll get to the subject at hand. When we're sitting, the mind, the mind, the product of evolution, the mind, which has been the product of evolution over time as our species, thinks in terms of time. That's its conventional way of speaking. It thinks about you in the past, and it thinks about you in the present, and it thinks about you in the future. And so the evolutionary impulse that drives the mind thinks in terms of where it has been and where it is now and where it's going. And it also has an abiding sense of incompletion now. So that if you've ever stopped long enough, you may have, we may, we all may have moments in which we feel relatively complete, relatively sane, relatively satisfied. But if we stay very long in those moments, suddenly we feel incomplete and we feel something's missing. It won't take very long until that moment will foster a sense of needing something in the future, something that is insufficient now and I need it in the future. And then the mind, because it's an evolutionary impulse to think in that way, it starts thinking about how it can satisfy the feeling of being incomplete and dissatisfied in the future by obtaining, acquiring, or doing something, or just having something change so that the future time will be more complete than now. And so uh, most of our relationship with now is not very satisfying. It's, in fact, not satisfying at all. We don't spend very much time here because, as I'll explain further in the talk, it's not a very satisfying place to be. It feels incomplete to us. It feels like we're not in movement. We're not, we're, it sort of takes away our power, doesn't it? Our power is that we're feeling this and we can feel that. And so let's move out of feeling this so that we can feel that. And so that's where we get our sense of personal power is a sense of personal power in our improvement. An improvement through the mind's description is something that has yet to occur. And so we think that way. We think that way in terms of our life moment to moment. And we bring that same conventional way of looking into our spiritual life. And the states of mind that we have all day long seem to conclude the assumption that we are incomplete. I mean, as we have been sitting here today, even as early on as this retreat is, we will uh, feel the inevitable restlessness and turbulence and dissatisfaction and uh, loneliness. And from that sense of loneliness, we will invite 
an imaginary time, either of a time past when we were not lonely and dwell upon that memory as much more satisfying than the present sense of loneliness. Or we will conjure up a plan in our mind to meet someone after the retreat who we happen to be attracted to but haven't said anything to on the retreat. And we will then invest in a bunch of fantasy and daydreams so that that sense of loneliness, which we are feeling now, can be resolved in the future. And anger, anger, we either go back to those areas of, of difficulty and justification that explain why we have to feel this state now, because it's not what we expected when we were on retreat, to feel angry or grief. And then we dwell upon that justification with the uh, blame and accusation that's necessary in order for it to take, take us out of the burden of having to feel the anger and to blame it on someone so that we can get a sense of moving into the future, having unloaded that particular state of mind onto someone else who we can now say, you make me angry, and now we can move forward into the future without it. So we play with the past and we play with the future as a way to unburden the present feelings, the present state of minds in the present moment. Now I want to bring back what I, my definition of the spiritual path again. The spiritual path is to cease all journeys away from now. So how do we do that? when we are feeling these states, these um, sort of troubling, disturbing, um, unreconciled states of mind that certainly don't feel satisfactory, don't feel content. And if we just say, okay, now is all there is, we are left with that discontentedness. Not, does not feel at all like we are spiritually complete, even though we may have some sense that we're supposed to open to it, allow it, relax with it, and all the other ways that we are inviting our spiritual orientation to these states of mind. Still, if we're honest with ourselves, it doesn't feel very complete, does it? Because all we're left with is the restlessness. All we're left with is the irritation. All we're left with is the loneliness. All we're left with is the image of ourselves as being incomplete here and now. And so even though we'll play at this, I mean, we take it seriously. That we think that the orientation, we hear the orientation of the instructions, and we really take it on, and we want to be sincere. We just don't believe that there's a resolution, not for us, maybe for the guy next to me, maybe for those people on stage. But the, our doubt starts creeping in. And we don't see the doubt as another state arising now. We think it is a confirmation that we are the one person who has been left out of the spiritual path, the spiritual journey, and is incapable of moving forward. And we're left with that 
and we try to sit like a Buddha, but inside we feel like a schmuck. <laughs> okay, so what do we do? <laughs> what do we do? Because the states of mind, if there's anything that bellows forth, like the, uh, like the uh, German p- uh, p- uh, painting of the scream, on the bridge, you know, where the ripples of the screen. If there's anything that screams at us to move forward, it's our states of mind. They're saying, get out of here, you know. And we find, you know, soon enough, they do change. We do change our state of mind. We have a moment in which things seem to be working in our meditation. There seems to be some degree of contentment and maybe some degree of tranquility. But it doesn't last long before we are longing for that previous moment in which that experience did occur, but it's no longer occurring, and on and on we go from that point of view. So we have to bring a resolution of spirit, a resolve of spirit, a courageousness. As I call forth from you, if I were a saucer, I would call forth this courage from you. I would ask that of you. Because each of us have it, and it's only blocked by our doubt, dear ones. And if we can just rise up, we will sense that potential in us. Because some of us have been inoculated within a kind of half-heartedness in this practice that saddens me. Because we have tried and have, in our definition, failed ourselves. But it may be that we haven't tried in the right way that we haven't had the spiritual journey defined for us sufficiently so that we know what to do. And we feel as if we get pulled back into the same drift, drifting with our states of mind, still seeking to be soothed by and from our states of mind. but not rising up, not rising up. And so what is it that this spiritual journey, how do we cease journeying away from now? How do we cease that? Because every state of mind, as I mentioned, seems to claim reference to time, seems to say anger needs some sort of resolution. Loneliness needs a partner. Um, Irritation needs a quieting, a calm. It needs a satisfaction. Every state of mind seems to indicate a resolution in it so that it won't be felt as itself, as irritation, as loneliness, as anger, as fear, as, as, as. In terms of our activity, in terms of our energy, in terms of our focus, in the future. 
And this is the courage. This is what is needed from you. To turn towards that state of mind and refuse to go on a journey with it. Refuse it access to the minds traveling in time. When this is removed, when I can be better, when this will change, when I will no longer be lonely. And to let that state of mind be sufficient in itself, for itself, as itself, here and now. Period. And then we start awakening. Because as long as we're pulling, as long as we lean, as long as we believe in, as long as we're just slightly nudging our way towards a resolution of the problem at hand, which we perceive as resolving the state of mind we're in, we will forever be thinking in terms of a journey out of now. Has to be. And as long as there is one iota, or whatever the smallest demarcation of movement out of now is, I'll call it an iota, of movement away from now, then we, the whole world in trance, as we perceive the me here and the you there, which is all a, con, a configuration out of now, you seeing me here and you there is a configuration out of now that is happening because we are not completely comfortable in the now. And so we will constantly be nudging ourselves out of now as long as the state of mind and the accompanying commentary, the accompanying way we speak to ourselves about that state of mind and the need to improve from that state of mind continues that narrative which we invest into those states of mind as long as that persists and we believe in it. then our travels will be incomplete. The journey will be burdensome. It will be long. In fact, it will be forever. The mind cannot journey its way to now. It has to end and cease the journey. And so what we are feeling cannot resolve itself. It has to be completely held as itself. It's not ever incomplete. Whenever we think, even in terms of incompletion, we have started the whole narrative of a journey once more. It has to be arrested, do you see? In the Normandy invasion, World War II, 60 years ago, 65 years ago, Rommel, who was in charge, the German general who was in charge of, he said, stop them at the beaches, because once they get in there, they're going to, you can't stop them, you see. So we have to, now just, that's metaphorically speaking, we have to stop this thing at the beaches. 
before it hits dry land. And stopping doesn't mean um, aversive or resistant. It means not letting it move us into the belief and assumption that there's a resolution to this state of mind. That there's some way that it'll resolve itself in the future so that I'll be a better person therein, thereof. Now let me explain why it may be so difficult for some of us to stop it at the beaches. It's because in order for us to give ourselves over to now, we have to lose the control of what is arising within now. Even the need to control what is arising in now is a sense that you're on top of things and going to set up the now and decorate the table so that it's the correct now, not the one that's arising. Right? So our investment in the need to control is really backing away from now, but playing games a little bit. I mean, spiritual games, we can certainly play those things. Trying to set the game right so that there's no problems with it when it does arise. And this is a surrender of control over to what is arising, you see? Because what we like to do is we like to get close to now, but we like to hover around it like a moth around a flame. We don't want to plunge into the flame because we're afraid, as the moth must be, that it's going to get singed and burned up. So we like to hover around. We like to keep the problem going, and we're kind of just kind of working with it. Right? Just a little bit off dead center. Right? Just one degree off dead center. It's enough to keep us very much presently working on the problem and controlling the problem all along the way. But this takes top, top dead center, now requires us to enter now and lose control. Surrender control. And we don't know what to do. I mean, that's, that takes all our power away. But it's the very need to have power that persists because we are trying to create the moments that come out of now to be the moments that we want in the future. So we have this idea of how our life should go, and we can't seem to be willing to give up the way we want our lives to go and surrender to the moment because it f makes us feel too disempowered to do that. And so when the state of mind comes up, what we like to do is to have a pleasant buffer between ourselves and the state of mind, but not surrender ourselves completely to that state of mind and do nothing about it. And we don't even think it's safe. The surrender to the state of mind, that feels very unsafe to me, because that just leaves me with the state of mind. And if I think back and I say, if I just surrender to my anger, it just leaves me in the state of anger. This is our idea. It doesn't in fact work like this, but this is our idea. Well, then I'll be like my father or my mother or my brother or somebody who can be completely out of control and just be animal-like. And, and so I need myself to keep that state in check so that it doesn't get out of control so that I can keep everything well um, empowered, keep myself empowered. So you see how we 
we sort of have this approach avoidance to living in the present. We begin to feel how beautiful it is to reside in the present, but there's a lot of worry about getting too close to the present because it means releasing the need to control the present as it is. And yet the need to control the present as it is is the very basis of the problem which keeps us in the journey away from now. Now isn't this interesting? You've got to have a little bit of cosmic humor in this stuff because you begin to see that the fear robs us of the joy and the fear of what the joy contains keeps us in fear and away from the present. And you go, whoa. Now this is an interesting fix. So the sense of me likes to maintain a proximity to now. Now I get to the, <laughs> with 50 more minutes into the talk, I get to the subject at hand, Never mind. <laughs> Some of you are wondering, where the hell is the body in this? <laughs> well, the body comes in now. <laughs> the now the body the now of the body is a beautiful governance it's a beautiful flame to see the problems that are arising when we allow ourselves to enter the now and it also shows our mistrust in giving ourselves over too completely to something that seems so um, unreliable as the body. And yet the body is this beautiful manifestation of now. I mean, it doesn't, it's alive in now. It's alive in now. And yet look at our relationship to the image of the body. And you can begin to see where it is that we're trying to venture out of now to improve the body's image or to stay away from that image because it doesn't look like Cosmopolitan magazine. And so when we're asked to embody ourselves to come back into the body, we do so with a great deal of hesitation. We don't trust it. In fact, it has been the first thing we touch when we touch the present of the body is the scar tissues that we have long since left the body to escape. You know the scar tissues? You quite likely have been feeling them today. They are the memories that boil up. They are the emotional residue of our lives. They are the lack of forgiveness that the body contains within it. They are the memories associated with the state of our body that are locked in the body, in the fabric, in the cells of the body. And when we embody ourselves, those cells are the caps, the tops of those cells release their history to us. And that history for many of us, especially if we've had an abusive history, which we need to be very, very sensitive to, very careful with, be very patient with, 
But all of those, all of that comes out. And you can see why we stay away from the moment, because first of all, the moment, as we understand it, contains this eruption of discord and memory and association and cultural imperfection because none of our bodies look like the perfect body. And even though we may, as sensitive human beings and perhaps conscious human beings, think, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to ever try to be, look like those women or men on the faces of the magazine, still we see the image when we look into the image of the mirror. We see what we're not. We often don't see what we are. We don't allow and soften our hearts to what we see. We see what we are not. And it could be we're no longer, that we're not young. Or we're not as pretty. Or our hair isn't as. But in any sense, the mirror represents the journey out of myself to what I need to do. I need to suck in my gut lose weight, have a different hairstyle, on and on and on. It represents the very embodiment of where I'm going, not where I want to be. Now you see what well, we have a huge and a beautiful opportunity here that I'm so afraid that we pass up because we get lost in the implication of that mirror image and because we've been so conditioned to believe in the, in the sense of needing to improve out of that image into a different image, that we miss a beautiful opportunity. And I give you this as an assignment for you to stand in front of the mirror and see what the mirror sees, not what you bring to that image. And what you bring to the image is what is your escape route from that image is how, you, how the future will help you. And if you can just face that image and let everything else release, everything else that comes to it, you can begin to move yourself into the now of the body and take a seat there, a seat of nobility, regardless of the reflection that is there. And many of us have lost the ability to even know how to connect with the body. We know how to rule it. We know how, to, how we can treat it with, some, with insensitivity, like a, 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 a horseman or woman would treat his or her horse. You know, we'll feed it, but we're also have a stick ready if it gets out of hand. And that's how we work with it. And I see people on retreat and they come sick to the retreat or sickness happens while they're on the retreat or some chronic illness or some chronic pain arises while they're on retreat and they start beating themselves with a stick because they're going to do the retreat as they have perceived or conceived the retreat in their future expectation, not as their body wants not with the sensitivity that their body needs. And yet the very 
retreat itself is settling into the body and working from that sensitivity to see what the body can do with gentleness, with kindness, rather than whipping it with your stick to get to keep it going. And sometimes the most you can do is just know that you're sick or you're fatigued or tired. And that what calls for is more rest. Even though it says 5.15, wake up, you stay in bed. And more, more patience with this. Increase sensitivity. As our awareness increases its sensitivity to any object, including the body, what we're doing is opening our heart to its limitation and no longer being driven by that limitation. When we do that, the future is no longer forcing us to conceive of itself outside of now. And so the opening of the heart, the greater sensitivity, we give anything, and we're using the example of the body, the more the retreat is working in exactly the way it's supposed to work, which is to bring us fully into the present moment through the body. So in sensitivity, increasing our availability, our connection to things, is the meditation. So we have to learn how to connect with the body in all of its different conditions and not see any of those conditions as a limitation or something that needs to be a different way. It requires us to show up for our body. Now some of us have learned how to commit ourselves to being in the body. And that just means that begrudgingly we'll be in time and place with the body. But we're still going to have that whip in hand in case it starts getting out of control. What this, what I'm suggesting is that commitment, it's like commitment in relationship. You can be married or have a, have a spouse or partner and be committed to the relationship, which just means you're going to spend time in the same place with the person. But I'm suggesting a deeper showing up for this. Now that's a whole different relationship with your partner when you show up for them, isn't it? Not just share space, share the kitchen, share the t dining room table, but actually show up. And what your body, what our body needs is for us to show up to it. For it, not just have a commitment to working with it, to try to get it healthy, but to show up for it, to let it express itself in all of its glory and in all of its limitation. We're not going to get out of this thing in glory. Life isn't like that. It's not ever going to be perfect. Don't look for that. If you look for perfection, you'll be on an everlasting journey of some purification that cannot and will not allow satisfaction and contentment. We have to reframe the problem so that there, even as we perceive a limitation in the broader context of now, there is no limitation whatsoever. We have to expand ourselves beyond that 
resistance to being what we are so that we feel what we are, not from a sense of image that needs to go forward and improve, but from the completion of now, as now, for now, just now. And therefore, states of mind or states of the body cannot force us, if we want to be content, into the discontentedness of seeking a more perfect this or that. It's, again, dead stop. And we are giving, in our instructions, we are giving the path through that. We are saying, relax. Well, but I don't believe in relaxation, you know? It's like, I don't, okay, right, sure, I'll listen to that, but I don't really believe that it's going to work. I have to keep my white knuckle in this thing. No, no, that's the, that's, those are the instructions. That's the gate through. That's the way through to release the resistance because the resistance creates the problem. The resistance creates the anticipation of this not being a resolution in and of itself. It says, in effect, I'm resisting this until it improves, until it changes to something I want. Then I'll relax. No, I'm suggesting relaxing, period. What happens is something quite beautiful is that the frame of reference gets broadened, gets expanded from the image which we have to release ourselves from. In order to relax, we have to release ourselves from the image that holds ourselves accountable for being imperfect. We release, that's what we're relaxing ourselves away from. It's a psychic relaxation, not just a physical one. It's a dispelling of boundary of me. And something magnanimous happens, something that is truly spiritual, truly sacred in that moment of release. For we begin to actualize, realize, embody, Abide within now, as now. As presence. In which the thinking of this versus that, of this needing th more of that, is this state of mind not being sufficient and I have to get over and all of it accompanied and tombed within the commentary of me who's laboring through chapter after chapter of myself to come to a final conclusion of the book which somehow lays me to rest in God, in peace, I rest in death, R.I.P. R.I.P. is now. Now or never. Literally, people. You can take that as 
but it is literally, literally the truth. Because once we lose the context of now, we are forever drawn out of it. And look, how many of you, some of you have done lots of retreats, some of you have done some. How much closer to now are you from having done all that work? And I say that gently. How much closer have all those labors brought you to now? How much more compatible are you with your body, resting at home within it? When will it happen? Do you think there's a moment in which you suddenly find contentment? Or do you think it's working with the discontentedness contentedly that is its resolution? So I ask that courage for it, you see. Come out. Let us rise up together. Enough. This is insane. And even our practice can be further infusing that insanity. So we say, okay, now I've got the proper orientation. Now, okay, so now it's okay, okay. Now, I, now as long as we know where we're going, you see, the, the view, the, the absolute essential part of this is that we have a context, we have something. Okay, I got it, right, of course. And I hope your ned, heads are at least nodding inwardly as I speak because I'm just laying out the path in different words not violating any Buddhist principles, I promise you. Just different words. And we can use this foundation of mindfulness called the body as the road. And it's a beautiful one because it holds such disrespect, at the same time, it's the only thing we've got. We don't have, you know, I, I, I look sometimes at people who don't fit the model image of what, and I think that they're, that's their life, they're there, every time they get up in the morning, that's what they face. And I'm just wondering if they can see any, if they see the imperfections or the perfections. Do we see the imperfection or the perfections? Is this never going to live up, never going to live up? Or is enough of that, enough of that? And I'll tell you a quick story, because I love this story. It was a Vietnam veteran. I saw this on TV. Very badly burned in Vietnam. Had scars all over his face, very contorted, showed him on TV. And he had went through num numerous operations again and again and again to relieve and to try to 
put his face back into some kind of acceptable way. And he gets up one morning. He looks at the, uh, feels the burden of the operation and looks at the remaining scar tissue. And he looks at that and he says, I love this or I love nothing. What courage that must have taken. And if we look at the, through our image, which believe me, there's no one that even approaches the grossness of what his face looked like in this room. And if we can't face that mirror with that same courage, we must. We must do that. This is not a possibility. This is essential. We must meet all aspects of ourselves with that. We must welcome ourselves back into our heart. And the avenue of the body is the perfect vehicle for that because we have very limited control on being able to change it. Yes, we can go to the gym. But we love this or we love nothing at all. And the love for ourselves, as ourselves, is the gateway to the now. Let us begin there together. Thank you all. Can we sit for a minute or two? as we sit, how do we sit? As we sit, how do we sit? Are we back into the trance of time and to when this moment will improve? When our bodies won't hurt? Or have we stopped that? Have we arrested that movement? Never again. Remembering that the cessation of the path requires abiding now. And only that.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.